I have to say that you sound amazing today, Laura Kelberg. That would be my lovely new microphone. Did you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. You snuck it in. <laughs> I told listeners who's on the show without doing an intro. But now you've kind of inadvertently done an intro. Really? By explaining that you, did, <laughs> that you didn't do an intro. You don't sound like... What did, what did you say? <laughs> you Someone said I sounded like I was trapped in a jar. <laughs> oh dear, I'm so sorry. I've just been getting to grips with all the audio processing. It's not easy. Well, th- I think that was my fault though as well, because I had, I'd had my headphone, my headphones, my microphone at a funny angle and headphones at a funny angle and trying to be clever and it just didn't work well hopefully my audio woes are a thing of the past now especially especially having to record last show twice last week's show twice oh yes i, I did hear that one. Oh <laughs> yes. god i'm so sorry poor sean well it, it didn't sound like you were having exactly the same conversation like it didn't sound like a rehearsed conversation so. oh no it wasn't i mean we had our talking points um you know we had our topics as we usually do for, for these things and i wasn't trying to recreate it you know, the same as the first time. But poor old Sean, he was tired. I had him up to like 11 o'clock on the <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs> so he very kindly, because I was thinking, what the hell am I going to do? You know, we've, half of me was going, oh, just screw it, just put it out. Um, but my audio was so bloody terrible, as it was part of the, the kind of the crossover week. Yeah. I thought, no, I really have to do it again. I am never, ever going to let that happen again. Double, triple check. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm actually thinking about buying a new machine just to use as a, podcasting machine now because i don't really need it because i've got you know two machines here already but i just think it's probably safer just to set it up and get it right and then leave (laughs) it leave it don't touch it would be really cool to have an app that remembered all of the settings you could save like all of the settings exactly as they are i think that would be really handy for when you sort of took your computer away like if i was using my laptop and then i come back and plug it into my screen it drives me mad that the apps don't necessarily reset themselves to full screen and things like that. And I'd just like to be able to save the, all of the settings for particular situations and I can just switch easily between them. Well, I thought about that um, before because you're thinking, you know, with your laptop, you're out and about, you're doing different things. When you come home, you want a different set of apps open. You know, you want different configurations, you know, different things up on screen. Why has nobody made an app that looks at what Wi-Fi network you're on and then just opens apps, set screen space, do something based on where you are. Yeah, that would be extra cool. Yeah, I was just thinking a manual setting, but yeah, having it to actually be able to recognise it. And you, can, you can do things like that. You've got like the iPhone apps that can remind you when you get to a certain location. They haven't done that for the Mac though, have they? I don't think so. But it can't be that much of a stretch. I mean, I, yeah, your phone's got more location-based stuff in it, but yeah, it could do it with Wi-Fi networks. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, there you go. Free idea to anyone that wants to make it. <laughs> yeah, who do we know that writes software? Do you know what? This, this is the big five zero. Congratulations. That That's a good achievement. It's not my age. Although <laughs> <laughs> that would be an achievement. Oh, the life I've led. <laughs> the drugs I've taken. Um, no, I've got years. Years until I reach 50. Years. Really long time. You're, you're saying that like you're not so sure. <laughs> shorter all the time um, <laughs> now this is the 50th the 50th episode of unfinished business we needed a sound effect there <laughs> if we had a soundboard we, we could do that that's 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 really that's nearly a year's worth then is it yeah i haven't done every one because with times over the year when i was away yeah but we haven't missed together anna and i you know we haven't and you and everybody else we haven't missed an episode we've done one every single week yeah that and that's really good that's very 
consistent. Well, we're not going to do one next week because it's Christmas. Oh, and there you go, spoiling it right away. So, boom, <laughs> there we go. But no, we've done one every single week this this year, which I thought has been quite an achievement. Good. I'm very pleased to be on the 50th episode. Oh, you're more than welcome. Enough for this celebration. Have you been listening to any of the Christmas crossover podcasts this week? I've not got around to it yet, but I do mean to. Actually, quite fun. We did, we did a lot of fun. Actually, it's, it's this week as we record this, but listeners, they don't know that. <laughs> yeah. on a Friday. This, this it's not Friday. It, it's Monday. I had a fantastic weekend. Yeah, this week, podcasting week. It's good. Sean Johnson, he was on the show last week with me again. Oh yeah, so I did I did listen to that episode, so I listened to the first one. Yeah, so that was that was good. And then Tuesday he was back on his show, whatever it's called. The Freelance Web. That's the one. Talking to Keir Whitaker. Wednesday was Happy Monday's Sarah Parmenter and Josh. I don't, I don't know why they had Josh on, because he's not British. It's supposed to be a British crossover. Yeah. He's all right, though. Yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's not a bad bloke for an American. Um, <laughs> so, so he was on Rachel Shilcock's Beyond Ink, which is new. You were on that. Are you on the first one of her shows? I was. It was very nice. Me and Collie were on the first one. It was, mm, it, was, did it, listen. it was really good fun. Yeah, no, I did listen. It was grand. She does, for, considering it was her first one, I thought the production value was really high. I mean, she sounded great. The sound quality was good. She had she had a theme tune. Yeah, she's gone to a lot of effort of putting detail into it. Mm. That's a good way to start. 50 shows down the line, we haven't got a theme tune. Perhaps yeah, I should you... just sing country tunes. Yeah, I thought you said... I listened to one recently where you said you weren't going to get a theme tune. Nah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> uh, Thursday was freelance web co-host Liz Elcote. She was on, what do they call it, Back to Front show with Kia. Oh, cool. Not talking to Kia. Not, to- not talking to... What, you're no, not talking to no, Kia? not talking to Kia. Why? No, because they did their, like, their rundown of the year and it was they made the Freelance Web their favourite podcast. It's like, and not us. <laughs> oh, but that's nice for Liz and Sean. Uh, yeah, well, it might be nice for them, but you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bitter or anything. I'm not going to hold a grudge. No, you want to be everybody's favourite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dot .net Awards, just saying. And then Friday, which is today as we record it, Sarah and I are on uh, Paul and Marx's Boag World, which is, I can't believe... That Boag World's been going for nine years. That is a very long time. Really long time. Yeah, you've got a way to go to beat that. Tell you what else has been going on for nine years, which I hadn't realised until today. 24 ways. Yeah, that's a mega thing, because every single year, at this time of year, when it's every everyone's at their busiest, and Drew still manages to get out the door. Drew and the team still manage to get out the door. No, it's amazing. They published your article on accessibility, which was good. Yeah, well, thank you. It was... Uh... It was actually, even though I thought, before I wrote it, I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I've been talking about this for ages. And then I was sort of all like, oh no, but it's 24 ways. And I got all sort of, is it good enough? And I just had to let go and go, right, that's it, done. Have to get it published now. It's funny because it started off as, I mean, for the first few years anyway. I mean, it was it was good. It was always, always good. But it started off and I felt it was quite casual. And then recently, certainly this year anyway, when it came down to sitting and writing something, not that, not that I'm supposed to say that I'm on it. It's supposed to be an advent calendar. It's supposed <laughs> to be a surprise, like what's in there. Um, but there was just such a lot of pressure. I, w- I mean, I went through half a dozen different ideas going, no, I can't do that. No, somebody else is better than that. And it's actually quite hard to yeah. sit down. It puts a lot of pressure on you to sit down and write. And the quality is really high as well, and I find that incredibly intimidating because I I write a bit and I've been starting to write more, but I don't write as much as half the people on there. And they're really there's some really good writers on there. No, really good. I mean, it's changed the nature of it. I think it's got less uh, tips and tricks. I mean, there is still some you know technical stuff on there. 
Yeah. But overall, I think the balance has slightly shifted. It's really interesting. If you look at the archives, the summary of the archives, you can see just how our emphasis has changed over the years. You know, yeah. there's different things have happened, and, you know, as we've got mobile and responsive design and, you know, retina graphics and, you know, all the stuff that we have to take care of. It's changed a lot. So... No, I love 24 ways. I can't believe it's going to be 10 years next year. I think that actually it must make a, a pretty good way of being able to see how things have changed, like a, a good gauge of the web timeline. There, there's, there's some kind of stats in that, I think, that will be interesting to look at. The other thing I've noticed, if you go back over the years, the number of comments on each of the posts has declined dramatically. I mean, yeah. back kind of, I don't know, maybe not the early period, but, you know, once it started to get known maybe sort of three, four, five years in, you know, you'd be getting tens of comments on a post. You know, I think one of the ones, I think the contract killer had like 90-something. Wow. And now, you know, the average kind of comment count is, I don't know, 10, 15, something like that. And I suppose, you know, because the conversation shifted over to Twitter. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's the same on any site, I think. The comments have declined a huge amount. You don't you don't get those people going first anymore. <laughs> no, and they did change the commenting system. They did do it so that, um, there's some kind of voting ranking system so that, you know, most well thought of comments come top, which I don't, I don't think I like that. I, I prefer to have a narrative, you know, where you can scan down the, the comments. Yeah, because it could take comments out of sequence if you're replying to each other as well. I don't know whether it takes that into account. Yeah, I'm not, not exactly sure how it works. Yeah, it's a bit like that bloody stupid line that you get on Twitter now, you know, that's supposed to join conversations together. And you see somebody tweet something and it's like, that was four hours ago and it takes it all out of context. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I don't time. really use the uh, Twitter website very often. I tend to on the desktop. I've, I've tried TweetDeck on the desktop this week for a while. Um, and then I switch back to TweetBot. Because <laughs> I, I like having columns. But um, TweetDeck was a little bit... There was a few bugs that were annoying me. It, it kept, it didn't remember my login, so I had to log in every single time I opened it, which is frequently throughout the day, because I close it to try and make myself more productive. Well, that's why, I, up until quite recently, I didn't have an app on the, Twitter app on the Mac, on the laptop or the desktop. Uh, I just used my phone. Yeah. Because that way I could just, you know, tuck it away and not be distracted. Actually, I've gone back over the last couple of weeks, I've actually, you know, installed something on the Mac or used the website, which... I'm kind of kicking myself for doing. Yeah, you get into those habits, don't you? You don't realise you're doing it either. I'll I'll be waiting for something to load and it'll be taking a long time. And so I'll just flick over into Twitter and then realise that I've killed 15 minutes. I know. So it was also this week, 13 years. I can't believe this. 13 years since the singer Kirsty McColl died. Oh, I did see you tweet about that. I know. I'm, I'm never really sure why I get so upset about that every year when I think about it. But I do. It's really strange. I've actually got in my, I've got a, a marker in my calendar now that just reminds me. That's, that's quite a sad reminder to have. But I it guess really. you, if you, with music, you get an emotional connection with people, I think. And maybe that's why. Yeah, possibly. She sang that Don't Come the Cowboy With Me, Sonny Jim. I have no idea what that is. It <laughs> it's the best British country song ever written. Could be the theme tune. I, I'm not very familiar with country music. Well, I posted, you should be now, because I posted my kind of annual review of top ten country albums this week as well. Country music's not really my thing. You should give it a go. I was like you. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I did a blog post about my five best albums from this year. Just just listen to number one. Listen to Casey Osgraves. See what you think. Give it a go. Get okay. it on Spotify. 
I, I'll, I will, I will give it a go. But as someone who usually listens to metal, I'm not sure it will really be my thing. Well, I like a bit of metal. You know, we were supposed to be going and seeing Motorhead. Didn't come off in the end. But I like a bit of country tunes too. Yeah, I can appreciate other things occasionally. I like Americans, but I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> I'd say what is beginning to irk me, though. Um, not only on telly, but kind of just in general conversation, you know, in Starbucks when you go into somewhere and get a cup of coffee. Creeping Americanisms. You're going in Starbucks or Costa Coffees or somewhere to get a drink. You know, the lady behind or the guy behind the uh, the barista or the service person will say, you know, what what can I get you is the first thing. What can I get you? And I don't know, is that a script or what? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think that's fairly normal in a lot of uh, places now. And then people go, oh, I think I'll get mm. a grande vanilla soya I'll decaf have latte. A- that drives me mad. I'll I'll have a this, that, and the other. When did we start saying "Can I get" instead of "May I have"? I was I was always taught you, so you say "Can I have," and they go, "Yes, you, uh, yes, you can," but you might. I'm not going to give one to you. Was the kind of thing that I got taught at school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Just beginning to annoy me. People that talk about going to the movies instead of going to see a film. Yeah. I mean, I know we don't say movie theater, you know, we might still say cinema. Yeah. But, uh, and we haven't quite got as far as saying, uh, gas as opposed to petrol. Oh, no. That, that's a, a very strange one. Uh, we don't say elevator. No, fortunately. But we do. You hear this a lot too, when people say, how are you? And they go, good, thank you. No, we're not from Texas. <laughs> It's like, I'm fine, thank you very much. That's what we should say. <laughs> but the, the set script for what you say if you're, if you're British. What the hell is Aral doing in the background? <laughs> that's, the, that's the dog. Oski, <laughs> play quietly. <laughs> he won't pay any attention to that. Oh, I gave him a treat. I think he's throwing it around. Oh, cute. Cute, Sorry, cute, cute. We can disturbing. leave that in. No, no, yeah. no we, we can leave that in. Did I miss anything? Did I miss any creeping Americanisms? Awesome. Everybody saying awesome all the time. I'd hate that. I, I deliberately try to use... I, I I find myself saying it sometimes, but I'll deliberately try to use more British equivalents. I like to say excellent, fantastic, brilliant, and things like that. Fabulous is a favourite. Fabulous is quite a camp one. If you can pull it off, then you can say it, but it's quite <laughs> a hard one to pull off. I've <laughs> been saying fabulous for years. don't think I'm at all camp. <laughs> But no, fabulous is good. Moon landings, if they ever happened, they were awesome. You know, something spectacular, tsunami, something that inspires awe, and yeah, otherwise, exactly. Comet, awesome. Not Comet the electrical store, you know, because <laughs> if you've been in the comet, yeah, depressing. I think would be the more appropriate word. Really, is not awesome. Any stretch of the imagination. No, things like that. Mountains, awesome. But bagels, no, bagels aren't awesome. Before we get into uh, what we're supposed to be talking about today, should we just talk about the sponsor? Yeah. Because we talk about CMSs a lot on here, but there are some times when, you know, we don't need a CMS. Sometimes we just want to host static websites. You know, you might be making a site for a special occasion, like uh, a wedding or possibly a road trip or your dog, perhaps. <laughs> dog wants one. And, um, you know, I've done that a few times. And, you know, you might want to just put up a static holding page if you're working for a new startup or an app that you're building, something like that. So for me, because I design a lot using code, I'll often make a static version of the site that I'm working on in the form of, um, you know, linked up templates so that my clients can, they can get a sense of what it's like for a customer to click around the site. So Forge is a brand new way of hosting static websites. It's static hosting made simple, which is what they say. That's their blur. 
Forge isn't everything for everybody. It's not like a hosting service. They don't provide email accounts or databases. They just do one thing, and that's to host static sites really well. So uploading to Forge couldn't be simpler. You don't even need FTP. You just log into Forge in a web browser. You drag a zip file containing the site into the window, and boom, that's it. Your site will be up there on a getforge.io domain, and, of course, you can set up custom domains with Forge as well. Forge gives you version-based history, so you can roll back to any versions of your site. And most important of all, especially today, when we're all concerned about performance, Forge is really fast. I mean, blazingly fast. Forge uses Turbo.js. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds great. (laughs) It sounds fast. It's Turbo, right? And that means that all of your markup and your assets are processed to eliminate page loads, and that just speeds everything up. All your assets get loaded from their CDN, so your content's delivered as quickly as possible. Forge is really reasonably priced. The basic plan that includes five websites is just 10 US dollars a month. And the pro plan, which includes up to 20 sites and 40 gigabytes of bandwidth every month, is only $20. So you can sign up for a free account today. That's one site and up to five gigabyte bandwidth. That's free. So what are you waiting for? Go to getforge.com slash unfinished and get Forge. So this being the 50th episode, and it's the last one that we're going to record this year, I just want to say a huge thank you, not just to Riot, who make Forge and Hammer for Mac, but to all the sponsors that made it possible to do the show all year. So just want to take a minute to mention Eight Faces and Beyond Tolerant. That was a conference in Germany. Blush Publishing. They don't normally advertise anywhere else, so that was special. Five Simple Steps. They've done some brilliant things. Um, I think it was... So Emma tweet today. They've actually published sixteen little books this year. Yeah, that's me. I've just um, downloaded the rest of the fourth collection because it's got Andy Davis's web performance book, and I'm really keen to read that one. Well, I downloaded it yesterday, but I haven't I haven't read it yet. I need to put it on my iPad. So thanks to them, thanks to Free Agent and Gather Content and the Handheld Conference, which was a you know big event. Obviously, sponsoring the show made them sell out. Of course. Must have been us talking about the sh- talking about handheld. Made a big difference. Uh, industry conference. Not sure they sold out, but yeah. Thank you very much. Drew and Rachel have just been amazing. Um, obviously, we'd grab a perch. Talk about them a lot on the show, but couldn't couldn't have done it without them. There was the Shropshire Geek Conference up in Shropshire. That was good. That was great. Uh, Aral's Slide and Stage yeah. sponsored us for one week, and I believe sold out as well. I wish I could have come down to that. Is he going to do another one? I don't think so, no. Have a word with him. <laughs> He's got other things to focus on. <laughs> Have a word with him. Uh, Sketch, which I've been trying really, really hard to use to get away from fireworks. Oh, it's brilliant. It, it's my tool. I love it. So they sponsored you. So once uh, Typecast... For Namco, for the incredible Ghost Lab and the Device Lab, and I have one now. Oh, you have I your Device Lab. We talked about it. I have a Device Lab. It's sitting on my desk right now, and looks great. I mean, I've got some little niggles with it, um, which I might talk about in another, another show, but it's really good. Really like that. So thanks to them and WebCode as well, which is another app that I've been trying to use a lot more for generating SVGs and that kind of stuff. You know. Thanks to all the sponsors, they've really made it possible for us to do the show all year. Anyway, topic for the week. I had a a client talk to me this week, and they were. I went down to London to to do a pitch, and one of the reasons why they asked me to go down there, I subsequently found out, was because they really liked the fact that we have 
a little ethical statement. There's like a link in our footer. And it goes off to a page about, you know, what we believe in and what we do and what we don't do. And they really like that. Looking around, I don't really see anybody else doing the same thing. No, it's interesting. So I thought that might be a decent topic to to round off the year, really. You know, as it's Christmas and we're all supposed to be thinking about each other. And yeah. <laughs> all of that, you know, without getting all happy clappy. So it might be interesting to talk about, you know, why and what and if you think that's a great idea. Cool. I have a, a similar-ish page. I have a page that's what I don't do. And it has a list of the things I don't do. So it says I don't do hosting and domain names. I don't do ongoing maintenance. I don't do development only. And I don't do working for people's companies full time. Just because I kept getting people asking if I wanted to be their employee. And so I just would say in a nice way, no, I don't want to. And I've been thinking about adding some other things, but it's not quite the same as an ethical policy. No, it isn't really. Um, and you know, you you have your things that you're passionate about as well, don't you? So it seems like a logical next step, really, to, you know, if you feel it's good for business, at least. Yeah. Put that I, kind of stuff out there. I think so. It reminds me of when I was starting out, and this would be, this would probably be about four years ago. And I had a, a client that I'd been working with quite a bit who was in agency kind of, he was, he was doing all the work, but when we worked together, it was more of an agency style thing. And he was saying, oh, I'm thinking about pitching for a project, um, but I wonder what you would think about it. Um, it's for a tobacco company. And I don't know whether you'd want to work with me on this or whether you would object on like a, from an ethical point of view. And I remember, and I'm so embarrassed about saying this now I think back to it. I remember saying, oh, well, money's money, isn't it? Uh, we need the work. Um, I, I think that's kind of notable to what my attitude was like four years ago, where I may have not had quite so much work and I was just starting out. Um, because now I would not say that at all. <laughs> and I, am, it, I think that's the first time I've admitted uh, to saying that. And it is pretty embarrassing. I'm actually just thinking, you made me wonder whether I would do work for a tobacco company. And I, I don't know whether I would have... I don't know whether I would have an issue. I mean, maybe it's because I smoked for 27 years. <laughs> well, it's, it's partly I was embarrassed about the whole saying, it's all about the money, it doesn't matter. I think that's more embarrassing than the fact that it was a tobacco company. But I would, I mean, I'd definitely think twice about it, I think. Because I wouldn't want to work for something that was, it was promoting something. When we're doing work that's related to advertising and things like that, you are trying to manipulate the user to a degree and I'm not saying we're necessarily always successful at that um I'm not saying we're that good but I'd I'd worry about my role potentially leading to people taking up smoking that may not have done so before particularly people that are easily influenced like children yeah there is that point we we our, our policy at the moment and we, we changed it last year actually we sort of toned things back a little bit because the first version that we had for you know for quite a while was literally things that we just wouldn't do. You know, we're not going to work for this, we're not going to work for that. You know, that kind of it was quite. I wouldn't say it was kind of grumpy sounding, but it was definitely Mister Angry. I think that's the one thing that I worry about as well is by having one because you could give the impression that you're just saying I say no a lot to lots of things. Well, yeah, and it's avoiding sounding pompous or sanctimonious or judgmental 
Yeah. So we tried. We we rewrote it for the stuff relaunch, um, and tried to make it much more inclusive. You know, put a positive spin on it. Yeah. You know, at the moment, I don't know whether you have a look at it. Where is it now? Stuffandnonsense.co.uk/slash/ethics. There's a link down in our footer. Yeah. What is the link? He says. Googling is over. The link says ethical statement. Yeah, stuffandnonsense.co.uk/ethics. Um, and basically, you know, I really love, I really like working with charities. You know, it's one of the things that I like to do. And I thought, well, let's lead with that. Let's lead with a positive thing. Yeah. And say that, you know, we really like working with charities, non-profit organizations. Um, and we do, you know, we, we give people a reduced rate. I don't know. Do you, do you have a, a different rate for doing kind of good causes? Uh, yeah, I do tend to put my, yeah, my hourly rate down slightly for that kind of work. And then the other thing that, We've done, you know, because we're not always busy, you know, we try to fill the calendar, but there's always certain areas of the, you know, the month or something where we've got a little bit of slack time. And we thought, you know, it would be a great idea if we actually give those away, you know, give those to charities. That's a really nice idea. You know, we'll do pro bono days. And I think one of the good ways of of thinking about it, it certainly helped me in terms of, you know, because you might get a charity come on board and, you know, they might think that just because they're a charity, you're not going to charge them anything or, you know, you can charge them next to nothing. Well, you know, we all have to, we all have to eat. Yeah. So what we did was we sat down and we worked out how many days a month, and I think it's three at the moment, three or four, um, pro bono days that we'll offer. And then we've just got those. So if somebody comes along and they want those, that's fine. It's kind of first come, first served. Or, you know, we, we pick people that we want to work with. But, you know, with the next charity that comes along, you know, we'll work with them, obviously, but we won't work for them for free because we've used up our allocated number of pro bono days. Yeah, that's fair. I think so. So that was one. Um, I'm an old lefty, so I really want to work with left-wing organisations, you know, trade unions and workers' reps and things like that. So we put on the website that we'll offer reduced rates for those as well. Yeah. That's that seems to make sense. You know, let's just kind of outline, you know, which, which areas of work we really want and kind of go out and ask for it in a way. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, I think that that really does that. By looking at that, people can tell sort of that you are more left aligned. And I think that you're probably more likely to attract clients that also feel in a similar way, even if they're not necessarily workers' organisations. They, if they're people that also identify in the same way that you do, they're more likely to want to work with you, which is a bonus for you because you end up working with people that are more like you. The first version of that was, you know, we saw what Mrs. Thatcher did to this country, so we're never <laughs> going to work with you. <laughs> it was all kind of very ratty. Yeah. So uh, hopefully this is a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more laid back. Yeah. The one that I'm, the one that is probably the one that I would put above all the others really is that we've got this section here. We say no to working for the military. Yeah. Yeah, of any country. I don't care where you are or how just, um, you know, your government thinks your wars are. You know, we ain't going to work for you. Yeah, because we've been CND, we've been anti-nuclear campaigners all our lives and anti-war campaigners as well. And, you know, I just can't imagine working for an organization where, you know, their main business was supplying the military. No. It's not going to happen. No, it wouldn't make any sense. Now, having, we did have a situation, um, a few years ago, I remember we got asked by a branding agency to go and talk to one of their clients about a web project. Yeah. And I was quite, they were a design company and I was quite, uh, quite looking forward to this particular pitch. And we got a call literally the morning of the meeting, uh, from the, from the 
the other agency from who was going to be our client. Yeah. Uh, saying, don't bother coming. And I was like, what? What's, what's, what's happened? And they said, you've, they've read your ethical statement and they don't want to see you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I said, you know, was, is there anything more to go on? Um, you know, what is it that they object to? And yeah, they, they made battlefield respirators. Aye. Well, they designed battlefield respirators for soldiers and they were deeply, deeply offended that we'd got in our statement that we didn't want. We, anybody that supplied anything in terms of battlefield equipment was off the table um, and they got the right hunt with that. I think it sounds like you were possibly better off without them. Possibly. Now, having said that, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a matter of degrees. I mean, would I do a job for a toilet paper manufacturer? Yeah, someone that supplied medicine. Exactly. So I suppose it's, you know, when you start going down this route, you are walking a fine line, aren't you? Yeah, and I think that's why you've got to be specific about what you say. And I think you know when you see a project, you'll know whether it's which side of the line it falls for you. And I think you have to, you can only make decisions based on those individual projects. It's very hard to do it in broad strokes i mean we do say on the thing on the statement now it's the supply of weapons munitions or battlefield equipment yeah and i think battlefield equipment isn't really toilet paper is it no no it's certainly not medicine <laughs> no it, no def definitely not medicine or anything like that or bandages or anything like that so i suppose that kind of makes a difference um but it is difficult it's very difficult to talk about these things Sometimes without sounding a little bit, you know, judgmental or sanctimonious. I remember, oh, again, this is going back a, a, a half a dozen years or more. I went to see a, a company out in, well, actually they're in North Wales and really interesting project. And they, uh, they were showing me around this factory and they did everything. They went from CAD all the way through to actual manufacture. They had a foundry. Yeah, they poured hot metal. Wow. It was incredible. And re I could imagine, I was walking around this place, really imagining, gosh, you can imagine, at the time anyway, it'd be a flash movie. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine a flash movie where, you know, you go from a the outline in a CAD drawing all the way through to, you know, a physical object. Brilliant. Anyway, I'm walking around this place and I see this on this desk, there's this really interesting object. So I pick it up and a guy goes, oh, could you put that down? I'm like, oh, yeah, really sorry. What is it? He said, it's part of the control system for an F-15 fighter plane. Whoa. I'm like, oh, okay. So I get back home and I'm thinking about this. And I say to Sue, I think we might have a, a, have a, uh, a problem with this client. You know, what do, what do you think we should do about it? Anyway, we discussed it. And then I, I called the guy back and I said, listen, just out of interest, we've got this thing that's bugging us. How much percentage of your overall business is to the military mm. and he said well it's about 60 percent now but you know with the war in iraq we're hoping that it's going to go up a lot higher maybe 80 90 percent oh yeah he said why do you ask and i said well yeah we were just kind of wrestling with this issue because you know we've been peace campaigners a long time and one of the things that we thought we might be able to do because you know we don't want to be judgmental and your project is very interesting uh, maybe if, you know, if, if you'd have said a certain percentage, we would have then donated that percentage of our you know, profit on the job to a landline clearing charity. And yeah, maybe that would have kind of helped balance things out. Mm. 
Anyway, I can't tell you on the show what he told me. <laughs> but it started in F and ended in off, and he put the phone down, and we never heard from <laughs> them again. Yeah, that's definitely a situation where you're better off without them. That was the only time, I think, where we've had... The only two times, anywhere where we've had a problem with this ethical statement. Yeah. So I think in, in 10 years of having it, that's not a bad do, really. No, I I think it... I'm the wording I think helps, but I reckon it definitely is a good thing for actually pre-screening potential clients for you. And then I suppose the last one on the list, and we're trying to keep it short, is you know we were up in North Wales, and you know five or six years ago there was a lot of European money, probably a little bit longer than that, lot of European EU grant money coming into Wales. You know it needed it. You know it needed a lot of work doing, and we saw a lot of abuse of that kind of grant money when it came to websites yeah you know not only would we see lots of product projects but also local councils would fund websites sometimes to the tune of like 50 percent so we get clients coming along going oh we've got a grant for this you know can you um you know if, if it was going to cost five thousand can you double it so we get all of it paid <laughs> yeah can you double the it's like no i don't want to do that so we have this thing on here now and it just basically says if you're getting grant money for it then you know please go somewhere else because you know, I don't want public money spent on websites. You know, I want it spent on doctors and nurses and teachers and refuse collection and roads. Yeah. It shouldn't be spent on bloody websites. No. So, yeah. Well, why do you think that agencies or freelancers, why why, why, why don't do the, the same thing? Because might, people might not agree with my list of do's and don'ts, but presumably everybody has their list of do's and don'ts. So you'll draw the line somewhere. Yeah, I think people are scared to say it out loud, though. I think... People are far too worried that they're going to put potential clients off. And I th I think it's a ridiculous fear because if such a simple thing will put them off, then they're not the kind of people you want to be working with anyway. But people are very worried about not getting the work and all of these things that potentially stand in the way of them finally getting that job that they really wanted. Why do people draw the line between, you know, what they personally believe then and what they're going to be prepared to do work well that's what drives me mad is i people that won't talk about particular issues on twitter because potential clients might see what they're talking about and then they won't want to work with them it's like would you want to work with someone that is like the their politics is something that you completely hate and they really couldn't get along with them would you want to you know, work with someone who has beliefs that would really affect the way that you work together it's like no you wouldn't want to do that it's been i found a big problem people that talk about speaking out about feminism and things like that and so it's like oh i, d I wouldn't want to i don't want to sort of make myself stand out just in case uh you know clients don't want to work with me i'm like if i had a client that had a problem with me caring about other people being sexist um <laughs> i don't want to work with them that's awful. Yeah, I mean, I think you get a general impression about people. And if somebody's, you know, I have to say, if somebody's banging on about the same topic again and again and again on Twitter, I might not want to work with them just because I think yeah. they're boring. Yeah, there's one, there's one thing caring about stuff, there's another thing being a bore about it. But I think that, yeah, people shouldn't be scared to have opinions. Well, I wonder why most businesses don't do it then. Particularly, you know, when what we do, you know, we invest an awful lot of ourselves in the thing that we're making. You know, particularly in design. You know, we have to really try to get to know the client and we have to, you know, understand users. And, you know, we're trying to make something which people are going to really like. And a lot of our own personality comes comes out of that or goes into that. I think, you know, it's 
better to be doing stuff where you can really express yourself and you know maybe saying what you will do or what you want to do and what you won't do it's going to help that because you're going to end up with things that you know are yeah i think when i think people don't realize that when clients are hiring you they're not just hiring your you for your particular skills of execution they're hiring you as a person they're hiring you for your experience and your contextual understanding of things as well as the the sort of you can operate various pieces of software and that's what makes you a good designer is the way that you care about things and what motivates you so i guess that a company statement is going to be a lot more difficult to put together when you've got you know, a group of people you got know, more people working than you know just us because there's only three of us and I'm sure we don't agree about everything, but it's quite easy for us to, you know, find things that we can all get behind. Whereas if you're a company, if you're clear left or something, there's like how many of them? Thirty of them or something. Doing something like that would actually be quite yeah, difficult. Yeah, but probably a good conversation to have as as a company to be able to openly discuss those things with each other. Because then maybe yes, the people that take on the projects, the people that are running the company, they can bear that in mind when they're taking on projects that maybe someone that's working with them one of their employees might object to it and would you want to put them through that situation or not we always had a little rule because we used to have the office downstairs you know we've got a little kind of you know one up one down at the end of the house we used to have the office downstairs and Alex used to come home from school we used to walk through the door and you know he was always interested always involved in everything that we were doing and we had a rule that we wouldn't do a project that he couldn't just come in and yeah. have a look at you know, if there's something uncomfortable. And I remember going out to a sort of a country house out in Anglesey once, and they were um, wanting a, a new site. And they gave me lots of photographs and brochures, stuff like that. And a lot of it was to do with hunting, you know, uh. pheasant shooting. And Alex is a really strict vegetarian. I mean, he always has been. And this, it was like kind of pheasant Armageddon. Yeah. And there's no way that I would want to, him to come home and, you know, what are you looking at? What are you, what are you working on? And I go, so you can't look at that. Yeah. So that was our kind of, that's where this thing kind of started from. And I suppose the extension of that is, you know, if you're a sales manager or you're a project manager or something at the top of a company, you, you know, you're, you're not getting jobs in, you know, you're not looking for jobs or you're turning jobs down or something like that where your employees might object to working on something. Because how does it work? How does it work if you're working for a company? And all of a sudden, you know, the sales guy or the MD or somebody comes in and goes, just won this amazing contract and it's from machine gun, it's from machine gun company. Yeah. Can you say no? Would you just get sacked? I don't know. Have you ever heard of anything like that happening? Don't think so. But then I, I mean, I've not really worked for other people very much. So I'm definitely not the person with the experience in that. I'd love to know. I'd love for, you know, listeners out there, if you've heard of something like that or you've experienced something like that, yeah, I'd great. love to know. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Are there any other things that you wouldn't wouldn't do that you haven't put on there? Um, I think it goes without saying that I wouldn't want to do porn. Mm. I don't have any kind of great religious objection to it just because it certainly wouldn't going in my portfolio. No. And I don't really think there's a lot of good in point in doing work that you can't talk about or you you know you can't show off yeah that's what has happened over the last couple of years with doing lots of work under ndas and you know other kind of government stuff whatever yeah you, know, you end up not being able to put it in your portfolio and then it takes half of the fun of doing the job off yeah I, that's actually something that i'm at the moment i've been writing a column for a list of parts about it um something that i've now called silent subcontracting and it's a, it's an area of something that I won't do. And I'm going to put this on my site. And I think that 
I won't work on a project where I can't take any credit for it. So working maybe with an agency where they take all the credit and tell you that you can't. So they'd maybe said that they have an in-house designer and, but you're not actually in-house and so you can't talk about it and situations like that. And I won't do that. And I won't be in situations where I can't have contact with the client as a designer. Um, working with an agency and so I'm definitely putting that on my what I won't do page but I think that that's a, an important part of it is being able to take credit for your work because that's the way you get more business if someone's stopping you from taking credit for your work they're crippling your business yeah no, definitely Jerry Cody wrote a really interesting article about this on 24 yeah, hours it ago was was fantastic. it was fantastic yeah last week yeah you know, where she'd seen somebody tweeting about an award or mentioning an award for a site design and it was it was actually one of Jerry's designs. Yeah. It it's it's just so unfair. Well we had this conversation with the client that went down to see that was you know, they were interested in the ethical statement and actually that was one of the questions that they asked was, you know, do you always have to be involved in the client at every stage and you know be able to talk about things or will you white label, I think was how she said it. Oh. And no, I don't want to white label. No. And I said, and I told them that, you know, because for, for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned there, you know, first of all, you want the client to know who you are because, you know, you want to be dealing with them. You want to be building a relationship because otherwise, how are you supposed to do a good job? Yeah, you can't. And secondly, you know, it is in our contract by default that we like to write and talk about things. And I, I mentioned this to the agency and they were, okay, now, whether or not that will be a, a, you know, yeah. a roadblock, <laughs> we'll find out if I win the job. I think it's important to state these things. Yeah, it definitely is. I've kept that part, tweaked it slightly from your original contract killer in my contract. Um, yeah, I think I've tweaked it slightly to say, if you have any problems with this and you want me to keep, keep it back until after the project's finished, um, or something like that, then I'm, I'm open to discussion. I think that's fair enough, actually. I mean, if we're working on something and, you know, we don't want to be launching stuff before the client's launched it. Yeah. That, that would be. That would, that would be silly because it kind of takes a shine off it. Yeah. That's something I've been toying with on Dribble at the moment as well. I've started actually inspired by you talking about using Dribble more when you spoke to Dan on the podcast. I was like, actually, I think I might start using Dribble more for showing real work in progress, but I've actually been carefully avoiding the names of the project or things that will give it away in my shots. And I've put them under a sort of project code names until the project is actually released, and then I add in the project names and the descriptions and things like that. That's a really good idea. Really good idea. It's it's quite hard to keep to keep branding and things out of it. Um, obviously, I can't really put much of any branding work on there, um, but if I'm doing a website, I have to make sure that I'm getting shots that don't have the branding in there. Uh, but it's, yeah, I I really like it as a way of, I'm trying to now do a shot do a shot a day of what I'm doing because it also ensures that I'm actually working on things that I'm enjoying and that I'm proud of. Well, we've, we're playing catch up at the moment on Dribble because we set up as a team and designers who set up an account and we've basically been going back and posting. We discovered the five shots a day limit, which I didn't know uh, yeah. <laughs> till that point. So we have actually, um, you know, the last few days been putting up a lot of the workings out, you know, lots of the kind of the exploratory stuff, which, you know, we've got, we've got, archives of it yeah but, but we never shared it anywhere so when we put our new portfolio pages together i wanted to make them much more about you know the story of a project yeah but there's still like a million things that you don't show 
So we just thought, okay, let's put, you know, half a dozen things from each one of those up on Dribble. And then from now on, I've actually written into our version of the contract now as a default that we are able to dribble that stuff as we're doing it rather than wait till the end. And a lot of the things that we've got up on Dribble right now is branding stuff. You know, it's logo designs and, uh, you know, color themes and typography. Yeah. So let's say I haven't actually got a contract that's signed yet with this new clause in it about Dribble, but, you know, let's see how that goes. Yeah, because I, th- I think I did work out that you can get, you can post one shot every weekday. And you won't hit the limit, I think. So, because I think you get 24 shots. And so that, so that works out quite well if you want to keep doing regular little updates. Yeah, no, I love that thing. It's just, it, it I haven't really thought about Dribble before because, you know, I'm not a, a graphic designer. So we, ha- I haven't had the stuff to put up there. It's only recently when I thought, yeah, that'd be a nice kind of addition to the portfolio layer. Yeah, I've been posting stuff that's in the browser, uh, not code, but screenshots and, up as well and that's quite nice it's quite it's it's fun it's freeing because it's me saying yeah this might not be polished it might not be it might not look like everything on the popular page on dribble but that's not what i'm using it for well i think the other thing is is that if somebody was to kind of delve that deep a potential client was going to delve that deep it does teach them about you and about your process and maybe the stages that they're going to go through when they're working with you and yeah how many times you throw things away that kind of stuff yeah and I think the same thing could be said about those ethical statements as well. Yeah, I think anything that builds up a better picture of what you're like and what your process is like is only, it can only be a good thing. I mean, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I think. I was looking through a lot of local web design company websites. Yeah, just because I was bored and I was checking Google or doing something or whatever. I think I was looking for, you know, what people say about themselves and their portfolios and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't pay a lot of attention to, you know, what goes on locally. But so much of it was really very samey. Yeah. You know, you go from one to the other and it all becomes a bit of a blur. And I thought, we're, su- we're designers, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to be, you know, doing something that's different or doing something with personality at least yeah it's not really you're showing you're not terribly good at branding particularly if you can't even brand yourselves in an appropriate way oh don't get me wrong i mean there's some you know there's some lovely people out there and you know they do some nice work but i just felt that overall it it was quite safe i think was was the best word to be quite safe and i suppose yeah doing something which sets you apart maybe on slightly dodgy ground like having an ethical statement yeah not everybody's gonna like that yeah i think that's why when i redesigned my portfolio a while ago i decided to make everything really really colorful and there's the opposite of what most people do is they have very soothing white and um gray text and things like that and i was like well actually that doesn't represent me very well i like working with a lot of color i like things that are colorful and i feel like it's quite like exciting and vibrant having it like that and so i did that and it, all of my pages are themed differently depending on the topic or the the portfolio the pages of the colors are themed to the project so it all fits in and um, and it's just not that sort of boring white and gray that i that you see everywhere i've got white and gray yeah yours is slightly tinted though isn't it <laughs> slightly tinted white no it's it kind of i it's got that kind of the pinkishness that you've got from the header come on out with it no, it does <laughs> and you have you have blowing great monkeys at the top <laughs> not monkeys sorry apes at the top Four, <laughs> oh, you pulled that back at the last minute <laughs> yeah i just realized as i said it as it came out my mouth it was the wrong thing to say but that yeah. was a save do you know what we should wrap it up yeah 
people can follow you on Twitter, Laura, at Laura Calbag. Yeah. Or me, at Malarkey. And to ask questions and suggest topics, you can message the show on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ. Or you can email me, he has at UnfinishedBZ. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, that's Forge. You can support our show by supporting them. And I just want to finish with a few other thank yous as well. I haven't said it properly, but I want to say a massive, hugest thanks to Anna Debenham for helping me start this podcast and for putting up with me talking about Planet of the Apes and moaning about the lap of lack of soap in hotel rooms for 30 odd (laughs) weeks she did a brilliant job and i don't think i'd have started this thing off without her so thanks anna if you're listening does she even listen i'm sure i'm sure she does now i say thank you anna because i really loved the episodes that she did yeah no she was amazing so i'd also like to say thank you for everybody else that's appeared on the show with us you obviously laura calbag and rachel andrew ashley baxter dan sealaholm josh cleland lizelle cope Brad Frost, Val Head, John Hicks, Marcus Lillington, Sarah Pimenta, Harry Roberts, and Ryan Taylor. All in alphabetical order. See what? Yeah, very nice. Um, so thanks to all of them. And next year, 2014, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to feature a smaller number of guests that appear on the show a lot more regularly. Um, because, you know, after Anna left, I didn't want it to become just like another interview show. You know, pe- let's interview people from the web industry. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just didn't want that to be a thing that we did here. Yeah, there's plenty of great shows doing that already. Exactly. So joining me on a regular basis in the new year will be you. Yay! Josh Cleland, Elliot Kember, and then Ashley Baxter, Dan Davis, Liz Elcote, and the one and only Jeffrey Zeldman are going to be appearing on the show before the beginning of April. It's a very good lineup. Guests lined up for the next three months, which is quite nice. Because, uh, yeah, I, I thought twice about, do we continue this in the new year? You know, I'd, I'd got a sponsorship con- uh, commitments after Anna left up until the end of the year. So I didn't have to carry it on. But I've enjoyed it so much that I'm not going to stop. So Yeah, oh, don't. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I love I listen every week. Well, now you're going to be on it. So that's, that's really good. We've got sponsors lined up for six months. We've got uh, guests lined up for the next three months. So that's all taken care of. And I hope that... By being on more regularly, people are going to see or hear, I should say hear, a bit of a different side to everybody because you know, it might be an opportunity for people to get to know us a bit better, you know, talk about things in more depth rather than it just be, oh, well, let's get Laura on for a, you know, for one show. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, you know, we, we can have a much, hopefully more in depth and better conversation about things. Yeah. More, more follow up as well. Exactly. So that's that, really. Uh, there's not going to be a show next week because it's Christmas. We'll be back on January 6th. I'll be talking to my old mate Dan Davis, which will be funny. Yeah, he's good fun. Oh, he's brilliant. He's got such a sense of humour. So no idea what we're going to talk about, but that should be a laugh. And I want to wish every single one of our five or six listeners <laughs> <laughs> a very happy Christmas holiday. 